Welcome, ladies and divorce professionals. You are listening to the Divorce for Wealthy Women podcast, where we dive into complex and sometimes taboo topics relating to divorce and women. Specifically, we often discuss how affluent women can maintain their lifestyles during and post-divorce. Join me as we talk to the most sought-after divorce professionals across the globe and share powerful tips that you can take along with you no matter where you are in your journey. Tracy Conan is a forensic accountant here today, and her firm, Sequence Inc. Forensic Accounting, has been all over the news. So she not only is a CPA, a CFF, MAFF, who testifies as an expert witness all over the country in divorces, but she's received features on CNBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, NBC, among tons of others. And although she has the fancy title and the letters behind her name, she is here to help women feel less alone during the isolating divorce process. So she's going to be here today to provide clarity and a plan on how to resolve financial conflict and move forward in divorce, as well as look for those financial abuse tactics and understand what you need to do in a divorce if high assets are involved. So I'm very happy that she's here joining us today. And so welcome, Tracy. Well, hello, Tracy. It's good to have you on today. How are you doing? It is great to be here, Olivia. I am doing fantastic this bright and sunny day. Oh, it is, isn't it? Well, tell us, what is it that you do? I know the intro is going to tell people a little bit, but can you go into more detail? What do you do? I find money. So I'm a forensic accountant and I do fraud investigations. And that means I do cases uh, in the corporate world where we have executives stealing money from companies or hiding money. Um, I do work on estates where, you know, brother and sister are fighting over money and someone hid money. I do divorce work where I am looking for where the money went, you know, when there's suspicions that there's hidden income, there's expenses that have been improper. I'm going through thousands of transactions to sort that out. Uh, I testify as an expert witness. So I'm a forensic accountant. And the easiest way I like to say what I do is I find money because everyone understands that. Oh, I like that. I do expert witness work too, but that is, that is an intense role. So I can only see how uh, the other side would not want to see you I'm going against them because I, I I know that you're world renowned for what you do. So I'm glad you're here it, today. It is intense. <laughs> what I really, really especially like about what I do is all the strategic thinking. So when I am working on a case, my clients are attorneys and I am, you know, working on my expert report and, and saying, here's what I did. And I looked at these things in detail and here are what the numbers are. And attached to this is the detail that supports that. And here are my conclusions and my opinions on what happened. I'm always thinking about what is the other side going to say? What is their defense to it going to be? Where are they going to attack me in a deposition? Where are they going to say, you don't know enough about this issue to give an opinion? And I love just that strategic thinking and that planning for, okay, worst case scenario, where do we get attacked? So that's like a super fun part of my job that people don't usually think about or know about. Yes. And that's good that we're bringing it up today because that does happen in divorce. Mm -hmm. it, it, yep. So 
let's let's actually start with some questions of what should someone do so we have our client and she is told right away about the divorce that has happening in her life what should she immediately do the first most important thing to do is start gathering information and do it very quietly. And so what that means is any bank account that you have legal access to, because your name is on it, go ahead and get online, sign into online banking, start downloading statements, do that for your credit cards, your investment statements. If it's a matter of you have financial documents in your house, in a filing cabinet, in a drawer, take those documents, go get them copied right away and put your copies in a secure place, replace the documents where you found them get those tax returns, get it all. Because once the divorce becomes contentious, documents disappear, you lose access. Now, ultimately, through the legal process, you're going to be able to get these documents. If you got locked out of the bank account, if your name got taken off the account, eventually you're going to get the statements when your attorney sends a subpoena to the bank. But if you have access to them now, there's a great advantage to, to taking those documents, saving them in a safe place, and knowing that you don't have to wait around for a subpoena to happen or for that divorce process to drag on. So that's oh. the very first thing I have people do. I love that. Cause that's something I'm shaking my head to. Yes. Like this is absolutely, I agree. The first thing you should do if you're being asked for a divorce, find out all this stuff and it can be overwhelming. That's where I come in and really help with those very easy conversations of getting where they are, how to find it. Cause it's overwhelming, but it is something you absolutely should do at the very beginning immediately. Um, so that's a great answer there. <laughs> so let's go into something even more. Um, Ooh, let's just, let's get into this. This is something I see all the time is how do partners most often threaten their spouses financially in the event of a divorce? And are these threats hollow? Can you tell us your expert opinion? Cause again, I see this all the time. I'd love to see what you, you would like to share with us today. So most often in divorce, I am retained by the spouse who is in the lesser financial position. They are probably, uh, they're probably the wife and they have probably uh, been out of the workforce for a period of time because they've been at home uh, raising the kids. That's just the reality that that is a very common scenario still. Um, and so that spouse who is in that lesser financial position is threatened with, I'm going to cut you off. You're going to be penniless. You're going to lose the home. You're not going to get any of my retirement. Those are the most common threats. Are they hollow? They're mostly hollow because the reality is there are laws that protect spouses, right? This is the whole reason that we have divorce court is to make sure that things are settled in a fair manner. So if you've been married for 20 years, you've been building this family together, that money that has come in is marital. Uh, and of course, you know, the, the attorneys are all cringing. They're saying, don't give legal advice or be careful. There might be a prenup. There might be, you know, you know, might be in a state where the laws are not favorable to the person who's been staying at home. I get it. There's nuances and details to all of it. But across the board, across the United States, the general concept is we're starting at a point where everything you own is owned together and it's going to be divided. So, so yeah, those threats are generally pretty hollow. If you don't have a prenup, you can you can uh, know that you're going to get money and assets coming out of the divorce, assuming there's money and assets to get. What what is not hollow is 
when your uh, spouse cuts you off immediately, right? Shuts off your access to any funds and they're the person bringing in the paycheck and they say, take me to court and wait for a judge to force me to pay you something. And then you have no money for your divorce attorney. You have no money to rent an apartment or to feed yourself. That's the not hollow part of it. There can be a temporary situation where someone is cut off financially. Okay. And we could go into that, but I think we'll save that for maybe if we can get to it later on, because I have seen it all. You've seen it all. We could go there, but yeah. I want to ask something that I haven't asked before. And it's something that I see as well is what are the red flags of financial infidelity? There are so many of them, but I like to talk about some of the most common ones. The most common one that I see is a change in behavior. Now, when we're talking about red flags, we're talking about a sign that something is wrong with the money. So it's not proof that there's fraud or hidden money or improper spending, but it is a sign. And so there is, uh, most commonly, I see that change in behavior where someone is maybe becoming more secretive about the finances, secretive about their whereabouts, hiding their phone. And some of these have to do with uh, potentially a spouse that's involved in an affair. And affairs are expensive and it, you know, there's money that is going from your family to fund that affair, the dinners out, the hotels, whatever it may be. So that change in behavior is the most common red flag that I see. Next most common one that I see is cutting off your access to information. That might be locking you out of that bank account. That might be not letting you see the tax returns, things like that. Gosh, that is, yep, that's all things that I've seen. And I would have to agree that those are the most common. Um, something that I want to ask you as well, along the same lines, what are some common lies that we hear spouses tell the other to hide the money? You know, people, you know, on a very basic level, there are the, the lies like, don't worry about it, I've got it covered, right? You get locked out of the online bank account, uh, online access to that, and your partner says, oh yeah, I had to change the password, I lost the password, uh, I forgot what I changed it to, don't worry about it, I've got it covered. Like, like So that's like super general and basic, but I see that all the time. Um, but I see people doing things to hide money, like uh, entering into like fake loans with friends or family members, um, I see them siphoning off money little by little. So maybe you have a spouse who never went to the ATM before. I mean, how many of us use cash anymore? Sure, you got a little bit of, you know, walking around money, we like to call it, in your pocket. Uh, but I think most of us use debit and credit cards. And you see your spouse now going to the ATM once, twice a week, taking out three, four, five hundred dollars And you can't possibly imagine where that money is going. I see that money going to either... They're salting it away somewhere in an account and they're just trying to deplete the funds that you know about, or they're spending it on things that they don't want you to know about. Again, like the affairs, uh, I've seen it spent on gambling, drugs, things like that. So in that realm of lying and hiding the money, those are some of the most common things that I'm seeing. Yeah, I've I've seen those lies as well, and usually it's around fifty thousand a month that they're spending on someone else. Um, that's you know the the lies come through. Um, so my next question is going to be, how can someone? So how can she actually protect herself if she suspects that her partner is hiding money? So what are some things that you would recommend? 
The two best protections. First is having money of your own. And I hope that when you first got married, you set up you know, your financial system with your spouse in a way that you have an account maybe that's in your name only where there is money there that you can always tap into if you need to move out, if you need to get a divorce attorney, especially if you think there's a chance your spouse is going to cut you off financially, that's your backup money. And I realize that not everyone has that. And so if you're someone who's sitting there saying, oh my gosh, I don't have any money of my own. What do I do? I'm hoping that there's a chance for you to, to um, start a process where you have some money of your own, whether that's, you know, start opening an account of your own where you're able to take some of your family money and put it in there little by little, or if you're able to return to the workforce so you have a source of ongoing income of your own, that would be ideal. The other way that people protect themselves is we're going to go back to the very beginning of this conversation, and it's about getting information getting account statements and having them in a safe place, going through those account statements and seeing exactly what's been happening. Now, I know that if you're um, in a marriage where divorce is potential or you're in the process of divorce, you're going to say, well, I'm not an accountant. I'm not a forensic accountant. What's going to happen? I'm going to get all these statements. What am I going to do with them? I, I don't know what to begin looking for. It's as simple as really just taking each statements and statement and going line by line, take a highlighter and start highlighting transactions that you think might be improper. You know your family, you know, even if you haven't kept track of the dollars and cents of it, you know where you guys have been, you know what you've been spending money on, where that debit or credit card has been used. And so gathering that information again is going to be a real help to you in the event that um, you think your spouse might be hiding money, the sooner you have some answers about where the money has been going, the better off you're going to be. Okay. So if she actually does notice on one of those line by line statements, a financial discrepancy, but she has no proof of financial infidelity and they don't really want to escalate the matter, what does she do? One of the ways that I suggest that people start to get more information about their financial situation is to say to their spouse, you know, you've been taking care of the money for years now, and I appreciate so much that you've been willing to do that for our family. But I'm really concerned because what if something happened to you? What if you were in a car accident and ended up in a coma? What if you passed away unexpectedly? I would be in a position where I would have to start from scratch and try to figure out where our money is. How do I get into the bank accounts? Do we have enough for the mortgage payment, et cetera? I like to start learning about our financial situation now and have those logins and be prepared and know where our money is. Um, that's a really non-confrontational way to start getting some information. And from there, I think that, um, you know, if you have access to that information, then you'll be able to take a next step such as talking to an attorney without your spouse knowing and saying, I've seen these things, what can I do? Potentially talking to a forensic accountant like myself or someone like you, Olivia, um, who is well-versed in all of this and can provide some guidance. So if, if someone gets access to the information and then seeks out a professional who can help them evaluate what proof do I need? You know, you and I might look at one of these statements and some of these transactions that are highlighted and say, oh my gosh, this is the proof. This is all you need um, to, to decide on a next step. Mm. So this sounds like we're getting into the financial abuse category. And so my, my next question is how can she protect herself if she suspects that it's happening? 
again, it goes back to hopefully having a source of money of her own. Um, but we can also do things like um, get a credit report on yourself, you know, run your credit report so that you can see exactly what debts are out there that your name is attached to, because that's really important. And ultimately, if you are in a situation of financial abuse, you're being restricted in terms of whether you can spend money or not. And there's, and I'm talking about when there's really no good reason. I'm not talking about when, hey, we just don't have money right now. If, if you know, you're being restricted and you're being micromanaged, you're not able to even go to the grocery store without getting permission or something like that. I think you're probably in a financial abuse situation. And I think it would be important to talk with uh, a divorce attorney about potential next steps. Um, that's one of the things, and, and you might think, well, gosh, that's really um, escalating things. Um, so without getting to that escalation, again, I'm always going back to gathering of information. That's the best way to protect yourself is to have that knowledge about what has been uh, going on, having those documents uh, before your situation gets escalated. Mm, I feel so like I'm I on repeat, Olivia. I'm on repeat I love here. it. I love it. That's what, that's exactly how it should be is repeating the same thing over and over because that's where we can actually see the change happen is, okay, we have experts talking about these things. You have to have your own accounts. You have to gather information. So I actually appreciate that because it takes a lot to, to get to the conclusion of, okay, I actually need to take action. So whoever's listening today, I hope that you understand <laughs> the, the main points here and and you, you either call us or you, you are able to get this information because it's scary, but it's worth it if you actually go through. So my last thing is going to ask, I know you might say on repeat, but is there any other steps she can take to protect herself in a divorce if, of course, she's not the primary wage earner of the household? That's who we're talking about today. Any other last steps? I think... The step that's important here, if you have not been that primary wage earner, is to think about getting back into the workforce. Again, I know that's hard, especially if you've been out of the workforce for a long time. You know, you left a career years ago and um, the work world kept going and you maybe didn't keep your skills up. You know, you might need to uh, go back and get a certification or get relicensed for something. Uh, but all those things are what's going to protect you long term. Right. Having your own money is going to protect you long term. So um, certainly that is one thing that I, I urge people to strongly consider. And one of the things I hear a lot is, well, gosh, I, you know, I've been a stay at home mom. My kids are still in school. I have so many responsibilities with them and their activities and all the things that they're doing. I know it's complicated and I know it's time consuming and it's it's you know far more complicated to go get reemployed than I'm making it sound. Uh, but if you can put together a plan to enter the workforce again, um, that maybe will take you six months or 12 months to do it, that's a-okay. At least that is protecting you for the long term. And then also um, talk with your divorce attorney about, you know, um, you know, petitioning the court for temporary support. I see a lot of people who are in the divorce process having informal agreements with their spouse. Well, he pays the mortgage every month and then gives me some money for bills every month, but it's not actually in a court order. I do encourage that we get that formalized. So as the divorce is pending, we call those temporary orders that say exactly who's paying for what and how much money every month is going to go to you. And then once your divorce is finalized, then it is an order pursuant to that divorce that is ongoing uh, for the foreseeable future. And so um, having that 
you know, in a court order is so, so important. And I see people, I see women saying, but we're amicable and I don't want to escalate it by, um, you know, saying that I want it in a court order. But unfortunately, that is the best way to protect yourself, because if he stops paying, if he stops, you know, making that house payment or or sending you the money you need every month to put food on the table, then the court is going to be able to enforce that. But if you have that, you know, just that verbal agreement between the two of you, he stops paying, you have a much more difficult time of getting getting the money you need to survive every month. Excellent. I appreciate you coming on today, Tracy. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. It was really fun. And I, you know, I, I hope that I provided useful information, but also hope to people who feel like, gosh, this number stuff is so difficult in my divorce. Uh, you don't have to be a forensic account. You don't have to be an expert to gather information and start to get an understanding of where your finances are. Thank you for joining another episode with me, your host, Olivia Summerhill. Until the next episode, visit www.summerhillfirm.com for a discreet way to find helpful resources that can help bring you clarity to your divorce journey.